Hello, everyone, and welcome on into the Betting Pros Podcast. It is time for us to take a look at the week that was in week three of the NFL and see who we need to be adjusting in our power rankings moving forward. As always, I'm Thomas Viola, and joining me is none other than the Oracle himself, Matthew Friedman. And today we have another very special guest here joining us from PFF, data scientist Kevin Cole. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. It's good to be on here with the Oracle. Are there other Oracles floating around out there? Imposters, I would call them. I would yeah, say there, uh, there are some Oracles. The Greeks. Some Oracles, but they aren't the the Oracle. Yeah, yeah I mean, you have it literally in your in your Twitter handle, the Oracle. So it right? must so, be real. Yeah, it, it must be real. That's how, that's how it works. Yeah, yeah if I could go back uh, 10 years and tell myself, hey, pick a different Twitter handle, I probably would. The thing is, even at the time, I, I couldn't get any different like versions, any iterations of my name. So I just kind of went with what was there. So you, you know, say you, it like, you live like and you the learn. Ohio State is that is it a similar sort of situation when you when when you call it out? Yeah, it it just it wasn't there. So anyway, Kevin, it's awesome to to be on a, a show with you again. Uh, you know, like we're we're going way back in the time machine. We were together oh, yeah. on the uh, the numbers game podcast at Rotoviz, uh, which had like great iterations of hosting teams because uh, uh, Nick Giffen was was on that at one point. I don't remember. Were you with Giffen? And then I was for left. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after that, it was Giffen with the guy who is now at PFF with you. Josh Hermsmeyer doing the air yards model. So that was, that was a really, a really good show. Yeah. Yeah. Way back in the day, uh, long before the Twitter thread economy started where that's how we consume all of our information now is no podcasts, no websites, just Twitter threads, how we get paid. I'm not quite sure, but that's just how, that's how all information will be disseminated from here on forward. Well, we're going to be converting this podcast into a Twitter thread for everybody then. So that somebody <laughs> thinking, will thinking ahead. Thinking ahead. I like that. <laughs> now, uh, let's get started here. And Kevin, one of the big tools that you use at PFF is adjusted scoring. You have your adjusted scores for every game come out after the week's end. And for example, this week, according to you, the Chiefs actually beat the Colts. I want to ask yeah. you about that. But to start us off here, for those that don't know, what is adjusted scoring? How are you arriving at these scores? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the idea originally came from listening to a professional better, Rufus Peabody, who some of you may know. Uh, he worked with Kate Massey on Massey Peabody, where they would put out power rankings for college and for NFL teams. I had, I had the uh, pleasure of meeting him a few times. He's been on my own podcast, Unexpected Points. I'll plug that right here while we're here. My own podcast a couple of times before. And he has these things we call game grades, which is somewhat similar. It's trying to adjust and downweight the least stable elements of play and then give a little bit more weighting to those that are that are most stable. Now, mine is probably a little bit simplified version of what he was doing, but it gives a little bit more weighting to success rate, which is on a play-by-play -play basis, whether or not a team is being successful, which will tell you, for the most part, teams that are generally successful continue to be generally successful more often than teams that have high efficiency continue to have high efficiency going forward. So it's using that a little bit more than actual efficiency. Uh, there are a few other wrinkles that go into it as far as downweighting special teams play a little bit more than what you'd expect looking at the number of fumbles, especially those that are not recovered by the player who fumbled, and then 
coming up with an assumption for how many of those should be recovered by their own team versus not. And then bringing in some of the PFF statistics too, as far as drop passes, turnover-worthy plays that don't end up interceptions and vice versa. And then making adjustments to the overall score to come out with a better score that tells us how this game would sustainably play out if these teams were playing fundamentally the same way they played in these games going forward. Now, for some fans, and I was I was giving it to the Chiefs fans a little bit because they got very mad at me when I said the Chargers were a better team the last Thursday night in week two that I was a little tongue in cheek congratulating them on their adjusted win this week because they were the better team here, even though they lost and uh, not surprising to say they were not happy with either of those. So no matter what side, if I tell you you're better than you thought you were not happy, if I tell you you're worse when you won, not happy. So I'm just, I'm bringing everyone together though, in the fact that they do not enjoy hearing about my adjusted scores if they had a, a bad game for their team. And now it's it's time for us to end the show because uh, Kevin <laughs> Kevin talked for for five minutes. This this was this is great. Uh, I love it. By the way, I want to say uh, the Unexpected Points podcast, one of my favorites. I listen to every episode. Uh, I especially love the uh, the Monday episode where you you break down all of the games from Sunday. Uh, that is a fantastic episode. Uh, definitely never miss that one. And uh, yeah, I will say anytime, Tom, uh, or anyone out there listening, anytime you ask Kevin a question about like, hey, can you give me a little details about what goes into this model of yours? Just like expect like five solid minutes of an answer. Yeah, I mean, ask me for an elevator pitch next time. Plus, I do my podcast solo, so maybe I'm just in the business. Right. Uh, a lot of people say to me, they're they always they say like, oh, how do you how do you do it? Like, how do you go on for 45 minutes, an hour and a half? And the fact that I don't find it to be that difficult probably reflects poorly on me, as opposed to being a positive. Okay, okay, hang on. I, I just have to say here, Matt saying that you're monologuing too much in your answers is just <laughs> hurling boulders from atop his giant glass house. <laughs> yeah, well, at least no it's not one. writing. I keep my writing brief because I hate it. And yeah, Matt would be the last person where the guy could talk, the guy could write like 3,000 words on basically anything. That's why I'm glad that he got into the editor in chiefy sort of business as opposed to the writer business, or else, uh, you know, that they were just they're killing so many trees, basically out there on a, on a daily basis yeah we had a we had a show yesterday that people should really check out because it is still early enough in the week the look ahead show here for betting pros joe pisapia sits down with matt and pat fitzmorris and i and and they take a look at all of the look ahead lines for the next week what you should be betting early what you should be betting late on so hint hint Go check out that show after you're done here. But I am the one who has to go and edit that show after it's done. And every single time Matt starts talking, I'm skipping ahead like four minutes to get to the end of the sentence. So no, that's that is uh, factually incorrect. I keep my takes very tight. Uh, very I could tight. go on for another couple of minutes to tell you about how tight those takes are, but I'm just going to stop now. But you All also right. listen well, to your instead, podcast at 4X. So that probably has something to do with your – you're really not upset about – like my my monologue there lasted about like 37 seconds when you're listening to it back on your on your podcast app. That's he true. is the podcast power listener. But uh, my, my question for you here, in addition to getting the entire Twitter fan base of any team pissed off at you, what – how, how are the adjusted scores useful for people? How is it that I can take those and say, okay, I'm going to use this as a tool to make more informed bets for next week? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've found that it is more predictive than score differential if you look at adjusted score differential going forward. So that is one way. It is a good way if you are like me and you combine 
in your power rankings a prior a preseason idea of how good a thing uh, how good a team is going to be and then you're going to take the evidence from within the season so this is my preferred metric to look at the evidence that we're gaining throughout the season and then adjusting off of uh the prior going forward to predict and that's the way that i go about trying to just figure out a power ranking and most of the time my power ranking like a lot of people it's not different as far as how i frame it would be how much you expect the team to win or lose by if they were playing a league average team on a neutral field. So I use this to, to build into that formula. Okay. I have a follow-up on that. Uh, mm-hmm. So you just mentioned, uh, you know, your, your power ratings and how you are using adjusted game scores uh, instead of point differential to kind of inform the ways in which you are making adjustments to your power ratings during the season. Um, what are some of the other factors in addition to adjusted game scores that would maybe impact how you make adjustments? Because I think a lot of people would look at, uh, you know, on, on a basic level, like the most basic level would be like yards per play, or it would be EPA per play or success rate. Some of the, you know, some of the things that you talk about on your show, what are the things other than like the kind of big picture uh, adjusted point differential that impacts how you make adjustments to teams? Sure, sure. I mean, strength of schedule, right? So like yeah. these numbers in and of themselves, when I'm giving them off, are not taking into account how the opponents are playing. Again, we don't have a lot of evidence going in here. So it's somewhat of a prior that I have for offensive or defensive strengths for these teams combined with the evidence that they have. And then you can figure out the, the, the more combinations we have of teams as the season goes on, we can get a better idea of how to actually adjust off of strength of schedule. So that's going to be a big one. Pace is another one where I try to have the adjusted score incorporate pace of that particular game into it. So if it was a high scoring game because it was being played at a high pace, then that's going to be reflected there. But you don't want to transfer that forward because what if this high paced team is now playing a low paced team as they're going forward? So I do like to try to normalize that a little bit. You know, it'd be different if you're looking at totals and things like that. Of course, you want to get an idea of the high paced teams versus the low paced teams, but that's only on one side of the equation, whereas the adjusted scores are going to be a affected by the opponent also. So we want to make adjustments for that. But those are really the two main things that I make adjustments with going forward uh, there. And then injuries, if there are any injuries, quarterbacks are really going to be the only significant mover. And then outside of that, I used to make uh, adjustments on a individualized player notion but now i've really switched off to clustering and just looking at position groups where you have more than one injury and then trying to make an adjustment based upon that i found that it was just a lot of work and it wasn't really adding enough you know juice to justify the squeeze to try to do a player by player uh, move where we didn't have a particular unit with multiple injuries now speaking of clustering the jacksonville jaguars were a massive cluster last year and how have you been changing them coming into this season now? Because they've just been ripping off win after win here through three weeks. Are, are they moving up your rankings? Do you think that this is a team that's going to be able to stick around at this level? Or are are you looking at them and saying, uh, this is going to slow down? How are you adjusting? I, I mean, I think it's going to slow down, but that's not – a you know that, that that's not a negative necessarily for a team that is two and one was a couple of Carson Wentz late touchdowns away from being three and zero right now and just went into Los Angeles and you know put a legitimate smackdown. This was one of these ones where you look at the adjusted score afterwards and it was fairly close to the actual score and you don't see that that often when it's a 28 point differential in a game here yeah you can discount it probably a little bit because of herbert's injury but it was really the other side of the ball that surprised me more than anything in this game i think the chargers have a legit defense and i think this was a healthy defense that they had here so the fact that they protected 
uh, Lawrence so well and they were able to play so well on that side of the ball was a bit surprising. But for, for them, there's a couple different factors. I still answers I still want from them. Uh, Lawrence didn't play that well in week one. He was under decent amount of pressure in week one. It was around a 40% pressure rate. Since then, the pressure rate's been very low. And part of it is that the offensive line is really that good, or is this something that you know might regress as they're going forward? So how does he perform under pressure? And the second thing is, uh, running the ball, their success rate has actually been the worst in the league running the ball so far now, but they've had a lot of big plays. And an example of that would be we've seen multiple 30 plus yard touchdown runs from James Robinson. And I would not be surprised if we go the entire rest of the season and see zero of those. That's probably the most likely outcomes. We see zero of those the entire rest of the season. So that's something to, to think about as far as their success has been concerned this season. Guys, real quick, I want to talk to you about Sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. My friends and I changed over this year and I absolutely love it. It's a game-changing product unlike anything else in the industry. And now you can win on Sleeper by playing their new over-under game. It's super simple. First, in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick the over-under. For example, rushing yards in a football game or number of points in a basketball game. Then, choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money you put in. The main reason I'm excited about Over Under on Sleeper is that it's the only app where I can join my friends' contests and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my group's picks with the tap of a button, along with Over Under integrated into the fantasy experience itself. It's insanely fun to ride it out together, so stop what you're doing and download Sleeper now to play their new Over Under game. Have fun with your friends and make some money. Use the promo code BETTINGPROS when you sign up for a Sleeper account today and Sleeper will automatically credit your account $100 to get you started. Terms and conditions apply. See sleeper.com for details. And how about the uh how about another team that's been surprising that's a perennial doormat here? The Lions. What are they're the third highest scoring offense in the league right now if I'm not mistaken here? Who saw this coming? Was it you? Well, I was I got one of these traps. I don't know if you guys get any of these traps where the Lions became a very popular team for people to be rooting for. So then I would like to root for them, too. But everyone else is rooting for them. So then I have to, you know, my 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 contrarian brain disease comes into play where I end up being like, oh, well, we got to slow down. We got to slow down on on the Lions. And I do think there was an element of needing to slow down. I was surprised, like everyone else, if you looked at the win totals going into the season, and they don't play in the easiest division, but still, the win totals going into the season or market-derived power rankings, I mean, they were in the bottom five for, for these. And now, as far as how they played this year, I have them being more like a league average-ish, if slightly better, team so far this year. So I am a little bit surprised. At the same time, I feel like Jared Goff is – you know, he's a functional quarterback in the right system, and this seems to be playing well there. Uh, the defense has been really, really bad, so I guess maybe that's not that a surprise as they, as they continue to not be playing that well on that side of the ball. And on the offensive side of things, they also had a little bit of this big play-ish sort of factor going forward. They were running, going into week two, they were averaging over seven yards per carry. They were averaging almost four yards, or I think in some by some metrics, over four yards before contact. So those things are not stable, but even without those, they're playing high above expectation. So I think this can continue going forward because, again, I believe in Jared Goff as long as you have I, I maybe don't clip that, but uh, I believe with Jared Goff, as long as you have the right pieces around him, that you can get, you know, league averages sort of 
quarterback play. And uh, they have some good pieces around it as long as Amon Ron, St. Brown, and other guys can stay healthy this season. All right, well, Kevin, uh, you just talked about the Jags and the uh, the Lions here. And, you know, I'm I'm looking at my, my preseason power ratings, looking at the power ratings I have now. The Jags versus the Lions, which of those teams would you say is actually better now, like in your current power ratings? Because I would think that they are probably close to even, um, you know, and I wouldn't have thought that at the beginning of the season. I was pretty high on the Lions, pretty low on the Jags. And uh, the Jags, I mean, they're the team I've moved up the most uh, in my power ratings since the season started. Uh, but you know, right now, those two teams are, are pretty even. What do you think about them in terms of a head-to-head comparison? Yeah, I have them right next to each other. I have the Lions slightly higher than the Jags so far. Um, I don't know. Maybe I need to adjust off of uh, some of this for for the Jaguars. But I'm also you know slightly low on these on these teams generally. I mean, so far this season, the Jags have been better than the Lions in the numbers that that I put together. So I had the Lions being better going into the season and they've and they've come together now. But we're still talking about below average for me and maybe a little bit more needs to be proven although i have been accused in the past of holding on to priors too too, too strongly um so th- that could be a case if you're if you're updating based on priors a little bit more quickly and i think that has actually been i've been testing this a little bit like because you, you want to incorporate as much data as possible but i think priors were stronger in the past than they have been recently with the change especially on a year by year of quarterback play that you're not that have been out of the range of expectations i mean for instance like mahomes and lamar winning um mvp and the herbert jumping forward like those things didn't really happen that much in the past those big sort of jumps for mvp in second year so if, if you're adjusting that a little more quickly i could see them both being you know maybe slightly above average but i have them on the other side of average at this point yeah i'm, I'm with you there i have them near average but still a little bit below average and and you know as you said like uh holding on to priors maybe a little too strongly I don't want to adjust too aggressively based on what we've seen in a three game sample. But that said, you know, I know the situation with Jacksonville wide range of outcomes there. And so with them, I'm a little more willing to move them up aggressively given uh, the uncertainty there. Yeah, no, I, th- I think I, that makes sense. And, you know, Lawrence's f- game one, he kind of looked a little bit like rookie year Lawrence. So we're, we'll see. We'll see if that comes back or not. I, I think, I mean, when you factor in that below average is still a very massive positive step in the right direction for yeah. both of these teams, yeah. who, who would have thought that uh, that Urban Meyer was the problem the entire time in Jacksonville? <laughs> Never would have guessed that. Not Urban Meyer, but uh, everyone else probably, but not Urban Meyer. I can guarantee that. Indeed. Another team here who surprised me, not so much this week, the Bengals. They get the win over the Jets to end their slump. That very much I saw coming. What I didn't see coming was the fact that the Bengals would be in this position where they were getting their first win in week three over the Jets and still, I mean, looking better, but it's the Jets. I kind of expect you to look that good no matter who you are. How surprised are you by the Bengals' poor start? And do you think that this is the start of them getting back on track? Or is it just that the T-neck football team could beat the Jets? Yeah, I mean, maybe. I'll say I'll say to, to the last part of the question, but... I'm not surprised that their perception has decreased coming off of a run to the Super Bowl where my power, speaking of power rankings from last season, had them as maybe a slightly above average team and they made it all the way to the Super Bowl. So I was getting, you know, they were handing it to me uh, on a weekly basis as they continued to win and continue to at least offensively not play 
particularly well during that entire stretch. So I'm not surprised that they're down on this, but this was a stretch in the season in a tough division where they have to be accumulating W's against these teams, and, and they're not. So that is a bit surprising. Their defense has played well, really well so far this season. So I think that's a positive sign for them. But then again, you know, you want, you're facing Mitchell Trubisky, uh, Cooper Rush, and Joe Flacco. How much do you put into it? I'm not quite sure. And I think offensively, they've been a lot better than what the EPA type of numbers would, would tell you. And it, again, it's like a flip of last season where they were making all of these outlier big plays that were boosting everything up. And this season, it's turnovers, it's sacks, it's outlier negative plays without any of those explosive plays. So the question for me is, with the talent they have on offense, do you think those explosive plays will come back or not? How confident are you that that's going to happen? I'm confident they can play above average in that area. So I'm relatively high on them, but that's with the idea that the perception is way down on them right now this offensive line really surprised me but Matt what have you thought about the Bengals so far yeah I mean I've downgraded them a little bit in the power ratings uh I think a lot of what Kevin said you know rings uh true to how it is that I've perceived this team I thought they that they would be not as good as they appear to be as their record would indicate uh you know but the offensive line I think it's going to ultimately at the end of the season be better than last year's offensive line. But, you know, continuity is really important at offensive line and they don't have it. Uh, And so even though individually the players are better, uh, they still need time to coalesce as a unit. So uh, I have bumped them down. Uh, I still think they're an above average team. I would say, you know, they're in that if you want to have them and say like eight to 14 range, uh, I think that's probably the right range of where you should have them ranked. Um, But like I do have them pretty cleanly outside of that top tier of teams at this point. Like I didn't think that they should belong there. And uh, now I definitely do not think they should belong there. Now a a team that is moving up my rankings ever so slightly, they were the favorites to have the worst record going into this season. The Atlanta Falcons. I didn't, I didn't see this here. I, I figured you look at Seattle and that's a team that's worse to me than Atlanta. And sure enough, Atlanta goes into Seattle, beats them this weekend. I'm not saying this team's going to the playoffs, but they're not worst team in the league bad to me, as many were predicting. Do you think it's time to start paying attention to them, especially against Cleveland this week? I feel like this is a spot where they're a plucky team and Cleveland's not really going to be able to put them away. Uh, if they weren't playing Cleveland, I'd probably be more interested because Cleveland's been one of the bigger surprisers for me as far as how well that they've played this year. Um, although I would have assumed coming into the season that Marcus Mariota would play as well or better than Jacoby Brissett. Let's go into the season. I was probably higher on Marcus Mariota. Maybe it's just like the never ending Uh, never dying takes that happen. And I'm going back to my 2015 draft grades and just getting excited about Marcus Mariota again. And if you think about it, the Falcons could have been even better this year. I mean, they just gave away that game. If Marcus Mariota could learn how to hold on to a football in a critical situation at the end of the game, he tried to give away the, uh, the Seahawks game, even this last week. And I think uh, part of the perception here with Atlanta, which is sometimes there's like not this, linear type of improvement with teams is I think we view the Falcons as being a tanking rebuild team, but this is, you know, this is the second year that Arthur Smith has been there. So while they've been 
reshuffling the decks and trying to clear cap space for a couple couple of years. This is not necessarily the season where they would be at their nadir. It would have been last season. They have been trying to build cobble together something. So I think that foundation has also helped. I mean, players like Kyle Pitts going into their second season, Drake London being there. It's a huge, huge difference as compared to what they had last year. And then Marcus Mariota, I think, you know, is probably an upgrade over what we saw from from Matt Ryan and, and certainly from what we see from Matt Ryan so far this season. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Mariota, looking right now at uh, running backs don't matter, or RBSDM, uh, for yeah. you know, the people who don't know. Um, Mariota, he's he's top 10 if you're looking at composite EPA and CPOE. You know, like, it's it's a small sample, and you have to take into account, you know, that he just played the Seahawks, so that helps a lot. Uh, but, you know, going against the Saints, going against the Rams in weeks one and two, like those are tougher opponents. And uh, the fact that he's been able to to have that kind of output, uh, I mean, we've seen the Falcons have, I believe, you know, 26, 27 points in all three games so far. Like that is not a fake offense. Uh, who knows if they're able to sustain, but I've been impressed with what I've seen so far because offense drives so much of what we should expect to see week over week out of teams. Like, yeah, I don't have the, like I entered the season thinking that this was the worst team in the league. And now I can say like, okay, they're not a bottom three team. Like, I mean, I'm not going to like move them up to average, but like they are significantly better than I thought they would be. Yeah, yeah. It's more moving them up into being in the mid-20s, maybe somewhere, you know, very mid-20s, not, not, getting, not getting much higher than that, than being near near the very bottom for me. And yeah, you mentioned offensively, yeah, they played the Seahawks according, my adjusted score for them was 32 points. So, But even if you're playing a bad defense, good offenses put up big points against bad yeah. defenses. So that, again, I don't just throw it out the window when something like happens. That, again, is, is more evidence that the offense is it could be legitimately good. Guys, football season is here, and if you want to get in on the action, we recommend heading on over to our friends at BetMGM. The king of sportsbooks is offering up the king of promotions right now. Use the promo code BETTINGPROS when you sign up for a BetMGM account today, and you will get a $1,000 risk-free bet for your first bet. That's right. You get a $1,000 risk-free bet just for using the promo code BETTINGPROS when you sign up for an account with BetMGM. So get in on the action today, guys. Enjoy the football season, and let's cash some tickets together. Now back to the show. Now, we've already talked a little bit about the Jaguars here, but this week they're playing the Eagles, and I think it's got everybody intrigued, which is not what we would have said going into this game at the start of the season. How high are the Eagles moving up your ranks at 3-0, and and what do you think happens this week? Yeah, I mean, the Eagles have moved up quite a bit because it's not only what they did last season with the with the offense um, running the ball. They're bringing in the passing efficiency. They're bringing in a ton of pressure that they that they brought the last two games. I mean, some of it was Carson Wentz, but it was comical. If you're like me in the Maryland area and that game was on TV, he was just getting sacked every five seconds in, in that game. And I don't think it's necessarily fluky that they can bring a lot of pressure because we saw them do it the week before when it came to – to Kirk Cousins in there. Now, where they move my rank is this is another one that is very sensitive because I have them being 
around the second best team so far this year. Very close to the same ranking as far as how they've played this year, along with the Miami Dolphins, still below the Buffalo Bills to me, despite the fact that the Bills lost to Miami. And then I'm moving them up off of a team that was in the, you know, the bottom half of the top 10. So I do think they are broaching into the top 10 now, but I still have them around, you know, seven, eight sort of area, as opposed to maybe being a bit higher. And, you know, the, the power ranking complex that goes throughout media you see three and zero, and you have to put them above the team that's two and one uh, a little bit too often. I think. Okay, Kevin, I I love that you you talked kind of specifically about okay, they've had a great season, and so if you're if you're evaluating them just on the basis of how they performed through three games, you would maybe think okay, this is a top three team, but because of the right. priors, you have to adjust some. And so I want to walk through a little bit, like thinking about where they are. And I'll say, you know, thinking about them in relation to Jacksonville. Those are the two teams that week over week and from the beginning of the season that I have moved up the most in my mm-hmm. power ratings. And so my my projected spread for them really hasn't changed all that much because they've both kind of moved up in even measure. But um, the Eagles here, thinking about the AFC, sorry, not the AFC, the NFC here. Now, I have them below the Packers. I still have them below the Buccaneers. I have them very marginally below the Rams, although I don't feel good about it. But then I have them number four. Where do you have them within the NFC? I have them above the 49ers, uh, pretty, pretty comfortably above the 49ers. But where do you have them in the NFC right now? I mean, I have the one slot lower than you because I still have San Francisco a bit higher. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's a mistake on my part, my part, but the updating process ended up being, um, you know, it's a little bit slower for San Francisco than for other teams because of the, the switch at quarterback yes. and having less evidence there. The monsoon, whatever you want to play into that. I don't want to play too much into it, but I do think we're kind of discounting some of the results there. And San Francisco's defense, which was what I thought they were going to hang their hat on this season, has been legit, has has been there, and I have seen no problems there. So I still have San Francisco higher, but it's really close. So I I could flip either way there, and I think that's probably the reason. You probably have them a little bit higher than eighth. Um, I still have the Chargers actually a little bit higher, which is a bit surprising, but I also discounted some of what we saw last week offensively. Maybe that's a mistake. We'll we'll see what happens next week with the Chargers. Yeah, I have the Chargers uh, a quarter of a point below below the Eagles, and I would say like part of that is just like the news that left tackle Rashawn Slater is out for the year. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a a move. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I, actually, I don't have that incorporated in yet. So that's of, of any non-quarterback position, that would be right up there near the top. And I guess the problem with Herbert is I don't necessarily think he's gonna he's going to take a lot more sacks because he's really good at taking sacks. But if you thought his offense was too conservative before, wait till he has you know fractured rib cartilage and no left tackle. Uh, his A dot is probably going to be around four in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Now, moving from some teams that were high on to Matt's favorite thing, teams that were low on, who are some of the people that you were looking at here, especially you talk about the Chargers. The AFC West was billed to be a bloody juggernaut with four Super Bowl contenders vying for the playoffs. But my big question right now is who do you rank lower, the Broncos or the Raiders? Even at 2-1, and I can't rank the Broncos very highly. And frankly, I like the Raiders this week in Vegas getting two and a half, I believe is the number right now. I don't have it in front of me, but – I'm a little higher on the silver and black than I am on these Broncos, but how bad are both of these teams right now? 
Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm still higher on the Broncos. I guess I don't know. My, again, my prior like my prior on Russell Wilson is a lot stronger than my prior on Derek Carr. I was never one of these Derek Carr as a top twelve quarterback sort of things that we were hearing in the, in the off season, and. Wilson was better than you think in week one if you look at his numbers and they had so many penalties and the red zone inefficiencies, all that sort of stuff. I guess for those reasons, I'm still a little bit higher on them going forward. And, it, the you know, Vegas was a team I assume was going to regress a little bit defensively this this year. Um, they're still getting good pressure. And I still think that, you know, Max Crosby is playing great so far this year. So that's part of it. But also the addition of Devontae Adams. I don't know about you, but it, like this is, I'm maybe going to a football guy here, but when you think about him versus AJ Brown yes. going to the Eagles, or you think about Tyreek Hill going to the, um, the Dolphins, I feel like his, his targets, his contribution is going to cannibalize a little bit more of what they kind of already do well with Hunter Renfro, who of course is injured. So not as much. And Darren Waller, as opposed to really being something where the sum of the being bigger than the sum of the parts. So I just didn't see that addition as doing as much. And, you know, we'll wait and see what ends up happening. He got a ton of, of uh, numbers in week one, but even by the numbers, that was uh, Carr's most inefficient game so far this year because he was taking sacks and throwing interceptions. Yeah, Kevin, I'm I'm with you 100% on Devonta Adams. I think a lot of the the magic that he had in Green Bay was as a result of his his connection with Aaron Rodgers. And he's not like a system changer, an offense changer. Whereas AJ Brown uh, and Tyreek Hill, you put them in different systems, and they can change the entire complexion of how defenses have to have to play them. And I don't think that's necessarily the case with uh with Devonte Adams. And I'm I'm with you on still having Denver uh pretty significantly ahead of Las Vegas. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I have significantly ahead. I have zero I kind of like them actually this this week. So maybe maybe <laughs> yeah. I should say I have to yeah. look into it. I thought it was Vegas was favored in this. Are they not? I have yeah, to look Vegas Vegas is favored. Vegas it's is only favored. like a point or something like no, that. No, it's yeah, now yeah. two and a half. The line oh, has it is continued to okay. move towards yeah. Vegas. And I think that is I think but again, I might be going. I might be going like when contrarianism goes wrong because if I see one more uh, Russ cooking video of someone like blowing up their kitchen, I'm just <laughs> I, I I can't take it anymore. People, we get it. We've heard all the Russ cook jokes. You can put them aside. Let's like this guy's become the most hated man in the NFL somehow. Well, okay, he's well, the corniest man in the NFL. How he, right. <laughs> hey, Cordy's okay. Cordy's okay. I remember there's DK Metcalf was being interviewed uh, about him a while ago, and he's like, he's like, hey, if being corny is you know working out really hard and you know loving your wife and kids and doing whatever, then I'll be I'll be corny too. I'll be Russell Wilson too. So I, I, I I'm sticking up for Russ. I'm sticking up for Russ now. Okay, it's really nice of, of the big jack guy and DK Metcalf to uh, to be like the social bodyguard for Russ in that instance. Okay, so Kevin, I, I've got a question uh, about Las Vegas here. So let's assume that I – it's not an assumption, it's true. I was down on Las Vegas entering the season. So, you know, like I was on the, the under the win total of eight and a half, shout out me. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, like I would say I haven't seen anything to make me adjust my rankings up for Las Vegas out of what we've seen so far. If anything, it's like, I, I want to continue to move them down, although I have fought the urge to do that because I know I was already low on them anyway relative to the market. So thinking about them relative to Denver, uh, and I have adjusted Denver down, but not all that much because it's only three games. And as you say, you know, like kind of look at adjusted scores, Denver hasn't been as bad as 
maybe everything has looked on the field. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett decision making aside, uh, I I think like how do you approach? Let's say if you're already down on a team like Las Vegas, how do you approach adjusting your priors or adjusting your power ratings when everything has kind of gone the way that you thought it would, but you know that you're kind of an outlier relative to the market? Well, I mean, maybe I would I would hope to not be that much of an outlier relative to the market. So I guess maybe that's the starting point. I mean, I do try to regress these things against the market and get a little bit closer to where they are. So that might be first to it. But for for the Raiders, I think that a big part is quarterback play. So and I do think maybe maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think that people's overvaluation of of them was the fact that people think Derek Carr is better than I think Derek Carr is. So it's kind of looking at that and saying, is that still a fair assessment at this point? And, you know, was I wrong on that or the market wrong on that? I'm still a little bit more confident that the market is wrong on that. I mean, I'm looking at the Raiders now. I'm kind of like, okay, how do I position them versus, uh, you know, like the Commanders or the Colts or maybe even the Steelers right now. I mean, those are the type of teams that I'm still comparing them to at this point. Maybe I'm crazy, but I don't think I'm that far off, honestly, on that. Okay, I I'm, I hear you. I have them higher than the Jags, and and but like my heart is like, no, nah, the Jags would kill them on a neutral field. Like the Jags would beat them. Yeah, I mean, I have them higher than the Jags too, but I think uh, I agree with you there. I, I'd be much more concerned because of the fact of new coach Trevor Lawrence development, um, the ability for a player where you have these um, like exponential gains where you're building off of each other for for a t- for a team. Again, it's not a linear sort of advancement. So if, even if you know Trevor Lawrence develops from from A to B, he might be taking the team that much further because of everything else that they have there, the Christian Kirk edition, all that sort of stuff. So I, I would be I'm less confident in that ranking than I am. I'm actually I'm pretty confident in the, in the Raiders ranking right now, but I'd be less confident in someone like the Jaguars, as, as you say. Yeah. If you want to win a signed Joe Mixon Cincinnati Bengals jersey, courtesy of our friends at Pristine Auction, you need to subscribe to the Betting Pros YouTube channel right now. Comment below this video and that is it. You will automatically be entered. We will be announcing a winner right here on the channel. So make sure to turn on those notifications so you can be alerted when new episodes are up and acclaim your prize. How confident are you in a team like the Packers, though? Because I'm really curious as to how the data is breaking down and how you're interpreting all this. Because to me, this is a team that's only had like one good quarter of offense so far this season. And what I'm seeing mostly, I don't think that they are going to be able to compete with the Buffalo Bills and Kansas City Chiefs offenses of the world where they're going to have to put up points quickly and I think that this is going to be a slow, methodical moving offense that's just way too run heavy without Adams in there. What are you interpreting for the Packers? Are you low on them or are you thinking that they're just fine? I mean, I'm relatively low on them. I mean, I was wrong, but I thought I was more confident in the Bucks last week than the Packers as far as being a better team. But the thing with the Packers is I almost have built into my rankings that they have like cluster injuries at wide receiver just for the entire season, <laughs> even with their starters, even, even if they're playing everyone that they should be playing. Now, maybe a Romeo Dobbs will be able to play well. Maybe Sammy Watkins will step forward. Maybe Alan Lazard will step forward. But it's just a huge difference when we're talking about that sort of receiving core versus replacing Tyreek Hill in Kansas city with a Juju Smith Schuster or with an MVS who used to be there, um, you know, with kind of credit, more credible ish sort of options. So 
I am concerned there, and I still have that built into to what I'm doing on the ratings. And another concern for them is the defense was supposed to be something they could hang their hat on this season, and it's been okay. You know, it, it's been good-ish, you know, sort of defense. But were they that good versus Tampa Bay, or was it more of Tampa Bay's struggles? Obviously, they had some coverage busts, so maybe they were a little bit better against uh, the Vikings than you might think. And I'm never one to say you can throw out anything, but maybe you can throw out playing the Chicago Bears <laughs> when you play the Chicago Bears. Maybe that doesn't really mean anything from a defensive perspective. Okay, I, I want to push back just a little bit uh, against not everything you said, but certain certain parts of it. So okay. you, you look at success rate uh, a lot, or not a lot, but like you maybe weight that more than most people would when you are thinking about how to evaluate games. Now, the Packers on defense, they're number two in dropback success rate. So, like, yeah, one of those games came against Justin Fields. But, like, you know, I think they've actually been pretty good on the defensive side of the ball. I was impressed by what they were able to do in week three against Tom Brady. And, I mean, it wasn't just cluster injuries at wide receiver, permanent cluster injuries at wide receiver. I mean, they were significantly injured on the offensive line, missing two tackles and in week one, uh, I believe it was week one or week two, but uh, left guard John Runyon went out with a concussion. And so now, now they are finally healthy on the offensive line. And, you know, I think starting to integrate more the wide receivers within their offense we have the priors of previous seasons of knowing that Aaron Rodgers, even if you know you have issues with his style of playing quarterback, that he is a good quarterback. I still really like the Packers, given the combination of coaching stability, Aaron Rodgers, the offseason to figure out how it is that they want to run their offense, and a uh, an improved defense. So they're still like they're still a top three team for me in my power ratings. Like they're the number one team in the NFC. I think top three, top three team in the NFC North or in no, the- top, <laughs> top three, top three team in the league. Number one team in the NFC. Okay. Well, let me, okay. Let's, let's, we can, we got to have a rankings off here. Okay. So I have, I see, I have the Rams above them, which you probably don't. I have the chiefs. I still have the bucks above them. Again, you, you maybe you're, you're not there. It seems like for that too, but I just feel like the bucks can get those receivers back. The bucks defense has been really, really good so yes. far this year. I have them more of being an equivalent to San Francisco, close to San Francisco. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong because there were some injuries last year, but you know, their defense wasn't that great last year. And I know there's assumption that they're getting Jair Alexander back and, you know, there's some other pieces there, but maybe that's part of it too. Maybe my, I think my prior on them was a little bit lower than some others coming into the season because what you've seen from them this season, I mean, you must have had them ranked just as high coming into the season because I don't think you're necessarily happy with what you've seen vis a vis a third overall ranking. I mean, I was I was high on them, but I actually maybe this is my warped brain. I'm actually pleased with what I saw out of them, given the injuries that they were dealing with. Uh, and so now with a lot of those players back, specifically David Bakhtiari, right tackle Elson Jenkins, uh, you know, and Alan Lazard coming in uh, missed week one. Like I I'm actually pleased like they got the cover against the Bears. They got the cover on the road against the Buccaneers. You know, like I'm actually I'm pleased with what I've seen out of them, knowing that it was probably going to be a tougher stretch earlier in the year uh, and that it's likely they will improve as the season progresses.
Well, well keep an eye on Bakhtiari a little bit. Um, yeah. That's one fair. of the stranger recoveries still was uh, yes. platooning. Like, why? You never see that, right? You Offensive linemen play every snap. So I guess I would discount maybe whatever your assumption for his level of play is going forward slightly. Yeah. I, I, I'm just worried about the fact that they scored three touchdowns in the second quarter versus the Bears and have three touchdowns in every other quarter combined the rest of the season so far. Yeah, that's that's fair. I'm probably holding on to my prior a little too strongly, and I was probably too high on them in the original prior to begin with. But whatever. I, I still think that they're the best team in the NFC. All right. Well, I mean, it's not like they haven't been one of those slow starting teams who gets uh, who gets going and dominates for the rest of the season before. So it's not like you're coming from a wild conjecture standpoint here. We've seen I mean, that's this. What, that's where they were seeing going into the year, kind of in that in that sort of range. So yeah, it's not it's 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 not a wild take by any stretch. But I was low on them coming into the season. Now, guys, before we get out of here, let's talk about some Thursday night football because we have a very rare occurrence this week. A good Thursday night game coming up here. We've got the Dolphins going up against Amazon. the Bengals. Amazon paid that good money. <laughs> Am- yeah. Exactly. They, they they were like, we're not getting the trash mashups. You put the NFC East on Monday night now. Yeah. But this game here, right now, if you want the best line, you've got Bengals minus four. Uh, you might be, you could find a three and a half hanging around some places. And some pe- places have gone to four if you want the Dolphins. Where are you going on this one? Uh, uh, I'm flummoxed. I, I I feel like I have to take this plus four. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's there. It depends on how you're rating to a situation. Uh, Armstead, uh, the fact that their defense just played 90 snaps in <laughs> you know 110 degree field weather. At least they. I, this is also on the Bills side. I think the Bills will still be affected by it. Honestly, next next week, even though they're not even playing on on Thursday, they. I mean, at least the Miami team gets the shade. A diabolical stadium there where they're in the shade and then the other the opposing team is in uh, the heat the, the entire time during the game um so i think those are the really the big questions because if you look at this if you look at this line agnostic of all that this would be telling you that the Bengals are a better team than the dolphins because even at home they wouldn't be favored by three and a half four points unless that was the case i think they're close to being similar sort of teams on this so if you could get comfortable around the in- injury information i think there's probably some value on the dolphins and that's where i would lean but maybe i'm more confident than most that Tua is going to play in this game he's not in concussion protocol he did play the the full second half and um, so for those reasons, I think I think he will be back, but I, I could be wrong on that one. Yeah, I I bet this early Cincinnati minus two and a half. So happy with the uh, the closing line value there, which basically means I'm destined to lose this bet. But oh, yeah. uh, I I currently am showing uh, you know value at this number of, of four, the consensus number at four. Looking at the uh, the betting pros odds page now, I'm showing value on Miami. I like I have this at, at two point seven five. Now I'm not fully taking into account uh to a you know like i think he's gonna play i think he's gonna play in this game but uh yeah like the situational spot of everything kevin said the defense playing 90 snaps in ridiculous weather and then having to go on the road on short rest uh jalen waddle dealing with a groin injury i mean he probably plays but i don't think he's going to be 100 percent uh defensive tackle raekwon davis dealing with a knee injury so like they're not a they're not a healthy team and the the bengals are a pretty healthy team uh and they're playing at home in this spot so i you know if i had to bet on it at this current number i would be going miami but uh i'm not like 
happy to be taking that bet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's some, I mean, there are three and oh, maybe, maybe Tua could sit. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that that ends up happening in this game. Um, and Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, could, could we just go straight to Skylar Thompson? That's my man, my man, Skylar Thompson. I just want Skylar Thompson to play this season. You and Matt Waldman. <laughs> I two, love that guy. I two love guys. That guy. Yeah, two guys. Uh, I also I love Matt Corral, though, so what the hell do I know? Yeah. Yeah. If you're Miami, I feel like you almost are backed into a corner where you have to play Tua unless you make up some injury he sustains in practice. Because you, you, can't, you can't go out there, especially now where they're already saying we kind of want to take a look at this, because they trotted that guy back out there like he was Frank Reynolds from Always Sunny with the certificate saying does not have donkey brains. Like – this guy, it was already suspect to begin with to sit him now and be like, oh, yeah, maybe he did have a concussion. I feel like th- that would open up such a big can of worms that they're almost going to be forcing their hand and have to play him. Yeah, well, I mean, they would say it was the back, right? Yeah, and yeah. I mean, yeah. OK, maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm being a little bit too generous to them, but I did rewatch some of that game. And when they when they went when the trainer first went up to him, he did reach around and he was like. That, that didn't sound right. He, he did like, 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 like put his hand around the back and kind of like he was touching something in his back. So I don't know, maybe there, maybe it actually was legit. I, I, I feel like it's hard. They're supposed to have an independent neurologist as part of the assessment. So I, I, I don't know. I don't think that there's chicanery going on there, but you, you never know. You never know what, what would end up happening here. Yeah. I mean, f- final thought on this, this game here, uh, if to, uh, you know, ends up uh, having obviously full bill of health. He's playing on Thursday. I imagine that this line moves back down closer to three. Um, but if it happens to stay above three and Tua is playing and Jalen Waddle is playing through the groin injury, then I think there's value on on Miami at that number, at like anything above three. I know you just said final thought, but the 46 and a half number is kind of tempting me to an over here. I think both of these offenses can see 28 points. Yeah, I mean, I have the Bengals defense being pretty good this year, so that would be my only concern. And the and the Miami has been a, a little bit big play reliant so far. Maybe they, I mean, maybe you can do it. Maybe you can get like a you know a thirty yard catch, forty yard catch from Jalen Waddle or multiple every single week from them. So again, I think it's it's going to be dependent upon a lot of that injury stuff too. So I, I would more stay away on that, but I can see that's that's a light number compared to what it would be if all these question marks were not there for sure. As yeah, a Jalen Waddle fantasy owner, I very much support that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have this at forty six point nine, so I'm I'm staying away from it at forty six and a half, forty seven. Plus Thursday night games, you have the less prep time, and like you said, the Dolphins did just play that game in the heat. I could see, I I, I can see the counter argument to this. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for us here today. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you and all the fantastic work you're doing for PFF and beyond? Sure, sure. I mean, you can find me on social media on Twitter at Kevin Cole PFF. Uh, There's an author page at PFF where I do quarterback rankings, different analysis for all the different showdown island game contests or the single game DFS contest there. Some other DFS stuff related to ceilings and different stacks that you can build. So all of that is there. And then the Unexpected Points podcast, where if you enjoy hearing the dulcet tones of this voice uh, going on and on and on. 
that would be the Monday morning show. And then also on Tuesday morning, I review Monday night football and talk about Thursday night. And then on Friday morning, review Thursday night football. But I think it's a it's a good way of digging into the advanced stats. And at the same time, you know, everyone likes to ding on PFF for the grading and other stuff. And I agree with some of the complaints. So I do like to walk through the grading sometimes and even talk about how my perception of what went on may differ from the grading and how we're building into it. So I think it's educational for people too, who don't just want to say, you guys are losers, never played the game, you know, you all stink, don't know what you're talking about, who actually care to know what's going on. It, it, it's a good educational resource there too. I feel like we have to bring you back on for an entire discussion just about the PFF grades. But for now, that is going to do it for us. Once again, thank you, Kevin, so much for your time today. It has been an absolute pleasure. Guys, be sure to tune back in on Thursday. We're going to have Peter Jennings from Unabated joining us to help break down the weekend's game. But for now, for Kevin, Matt, I'm Tom saying let's all folks and let's cash some tickets.